Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Cool Careers and How You Got Them. I'm your host, Zane Raza, and it's my job to help you explore your possible future career options with some maybe less traditional professions and different paths that you might not be aware of. I'm sure lots of adults ask you what you want to be when you grow up, and if you're anything like me, you don't have an answer for them. Hopefully, my podcast can give you some inspiration. I'm very excited and lucky today to be joined by Mrs. Kat Jackson, who has a very cool and interesting career. She's dedicated her career to bringing people's unique voices and experiences to a wide and larger audience as a producer and director for Audible. Mrs. Jackson's career allows her to work with creative talents from a wide variety of backgrounds. And without further delay, let's get into it. Mrs. Jackson, how are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for joining us and taking time out of your day to bless us with your presence. I uh, I love talking about what I do. So this is an opportunity I'm also excited about. Wonderful. So let's just get right into it. What is your official title? Uh, my official title is Senior Director of Audible Studios. Senior Director. So what does that entail? So my title means different things in different places, right? So at Amazon, Senior Director is a level. It's the next, you know, it's the last step before you become a VP. Um, but in the real world, in my day-to-day job, what my title really means is that I get to run an amazing team. So I run a team of six producers, three production coordinators, and a studio manager. And we oversee all the production that happens in the U.S. for any Audible Studios titles. Uh, I also run an international team, which oversees production in Canada, LATAM, and Brazil. And then any new place that Audible goes, my team kind of comes in. We assess the local recording capabilities and the culture. We make recommendations. We train studios. And then we set them up to produce locally in all different amazing places around the world. Okay. Wow. Very cool. So I don't know about my audience, but when I hear producer, I think of DJ Khaled and Metro Boom and like music producers. So is it similar to that kind of thing or is it different? I wish. Um, It is exciting in a different way, right? Because as a producer, I get to take a project that comes to me, whether it's an audio book that's already written, or it's an Audible original that is being written just for us and for the medium. And I get to look at it on the page and I get to work with the creator. And we get to create this vision of what does this sound like? How are we going to bring this off the page and into people's ears in a way that really is very rich and transports them and gives them this like beautiful entertainment experience? So I do a lot of reading and I'm a giant bookworm. So I still can't believe that someone pays me to read all day. It's like unbelievable. Um, I do a lot of casting. I work with uh, probably 300, 350 actors on a regular basis. And then we call folks in as needed for special things. If we have an accent or a dialect or a knowledge base. Um, And then we get in the studio and we direct. And that's my favorite part of my job is being in the studio and watching these things come to life and helping guide what it really sounds like and guide actors and work with them on just these unbelievable performances. What they do is magic. And the fact that I get to stand there and see it and help them is a true privilege for me. So the actors are not always the same people who wrote the book themselves. That's right. Sometimes our authors want to read their own books. And if it's a memoir, I always encourage that no matter what the author sounds like, because no one can tell you their story like the person who wrote it. Mm -hmm. But sometimes authors don't want to read, or maybe we have an older book and the author's passed away. So we need to cast someone else. But more often we have fiction titles and you have a bunch of different characters or it's set in a different place. And so we hire professional actors to read our titles. Will you ever hire multiple actors to read the same book? 
We do. So there are a couple of different situations where we do that. Uh, Sometimes you have a book which is told each chapter from different points of view. So we always make sure that we have a person who is a great representative of that character reading their chapter. Other times we do this thing called duet narration. It's really popular in the romance world where you'll have a male and a female character and they'll each read their own chapter, but then they also read their dialogue in the opposite character's chapter. And romance listeners love it and it's really fun to do. Uh, And then other times we do multicast projects, which are really uh, more similar to something like an old time radio drama just brought into 2023. And we get all of our actors together in one studio and we record like a full cast project. Okay. So are these actors different than someone who might act in an animated movie or can you kind of go to the same pool to find those people? We look everywhere for people. Um, Folks who work in animation are so supremely talented, and I still don't know how they do what they do. I ask a lot of questions because I'm fascinated by it as just as a person who consumes a lot of content. Um, We have some folks who focus on narration. There are people whose full-time job is audiobook narrator, which is unbelievable. Um, But sometimes we bring in folks who do animation work, right? And people who work like this, actors who are really skilled, tend to have a lot of different jobs. You know, they could be doing theater one day and a commercial the next day, and maybe they're reading with somebody for a movie the following day, and then they come in and do an audio project for me. So it really depends on what the project needs, but it's any kind of actor is really an actor that I want to know for one of my shows. Okay. Um, So let's take it back a little bit. When you were a teenager, what were you like? Oh my gosh. I was the biggest nerd in the whole world. It really was. I took all AP classes my senior year. I took two English classes. Um, I was captain of the debate team and editor of my high school newspaper, if that gives you like any real insight. Um, I, I just always loved academics. I loved being in the classroom and learning new things. And even now I always say, if I won the lottery, I would go back to school and just be a forever student because there's so much out there to learn and know and find out that that's all I want to do. Um, so I just, I loved high school. I loved college. I loved just having that opportunity for my job to be learning. Um, and I never thought that I would get to carry sort of that love of books into what I do. I didn't realize like people do this for a career. And we always joke that nobody goes to school to become an audiobook producer, but there, there are quite a few of us in my world. So you didn't foresee this as a possible career for yourself? I had no idea that it even was a career, right? Because audiobooks weren't a huge thing when I was in high school, which was in a year that starts with the number 19. Um, it, you know, they were books on tape. They were like uh, books for the blind. And that was really it. And the whole concept of audio originals hadn't even been developed yet. You know, it's something that Audible developed in the last 10 years. So I had no idea that there were people who not only got to cast regular books for audiobooks, but who got to sort of build these beautiful original worlds for a job. So if you had asked me back in high school what I was going to be, I thought maybe like I would want to be a book editor or a museum curator. Uh, but it turns out that that, uh, that was not my path after all. Where did you go to college and what did you study? I went to college at Drew University in Madison, New Jersey, and I didn't know what to study. Uh, But my senior year of high school, I wound up taking AP English uh, with a teacher who changed my life. Her name was Linda Warman. And she also taught us an art history module. And she kind of set us up to take the AP art history test. 
And I remember getting the book and it was huge. It was like, oh, it's like five inches thick and just lugging around this big, like Janssen's art history book with me and falling in love with it. And I thought, I'm going to go to a small liberal arts school because that's where I feel comfortable. It was sort of halfway between my home in Pennsylvania and New York City, where I eventually wanted to wind up. And I thought, let me just major in something that I love because a great liberal arts education is a great liberal arts education and you can do an awful lot with it. So I majored in art history with a minor in arts administration and museum studies and loved my four years at school and was super happy that that was the choice that I made, that I didn't sort of force myself into a different path because like most art history majors, I don't do anything related to it with my degree whatsoever. Okay. Um, I know we're focused on your career now with Audible, but um, did you have any jobs before this? I did. When I first got out of school, uh, I had applied to graduate school and I thought, this is really what I want to do. I want to work in museums. This is going to be my life. I'm going to go straight to grad school. And I got rejected from every grad school I applied to. And it was the best thing that happened to me because it forced me to get out into the world and have some experience. So my first job was working doing audio tours for museums with a company called Acoustaguide. And I thought, great, this is it. This is like my foot in the door in the museum world. I'm going to learn people and make connections. And I wound up having the privilege uh, back in 2005, I want to say, uh, the Museum of Modern Art reinstalled their permanent collection. And I had the chance to oversee uh, three tours in each of seven languages. And to be really clear, I don't speak seven languages, um, but I know how to find people who do. So I spent about a month and a half in the studio. And it was this amazing studio in Hell's Kitchen called CDM. And I was there every day overseeing these recordings and kind of coordinating people and hosting talent and interacting with directors. And I just fell in love with being there. And I said to the studio manager, hey, you know, this world is really cool. Like, how how do you think I could get involved in it? And at the time, I had sort of burned out at my job and the hours were crazy. And I, I was sort of thinking of leaving. And he said, well, my studio manager is leaving. Do you want to come manage my studio? And I was like 25 being offered the chance to manage like the premier voiceover studio in all of Manhattan. And I jumped at it and I actually took a pay cut to go there. And it was the best decision I could have made because I got to learn from the best directors and producers who would come into the studio and use our space. Um, we did audiobooks, we did ad work, we did podcasts, we did all anything that's spoken word that you can imagine we did it in the studio. I got to meet some really amazing talent who I still work with to this day. Uh, and I really took advantage of all the opportunities I had. We were a Sony studio. So I got to train myself basically on all of the Sony software. So editing audio and video and just having access you know, to a studio that had this stuff first was a really great opportunity. Um, and I was there for three years. And when it was time for me to leave, I, uh, I mentioned to one of my colleagues in the building who worked at another studio who I knew was leaving and going to Audible. And I said, hey, man, if you ever hear anything that's open over there, you know, let me know. I lived in Newark at the time and I could see the building from my apartment. I could see like the big Audible sign. And uh, six months later, he emailed me and, and he said, you know, there's a position open here. I need your resume. Uh, and that was that. And it's it's been 15 years since that happened. Wow. So that first job kind of gave you some initial exposure to this kind of field. And then you found out that you loved it. And then just from there, kept going. I ran with it. Yep. Okay, great. Um, so obviously, I think you have a very cool career. But in your opinion, what makes your career cool or unique? Every day is different. Every day I walk into my office and 
I don't even know what's coming some days, you know, you get surprised, like someone's in for a project that you knew from, you know, 10 years ago, you worked on something else with them, and you have this great reunion, or I get to be in the studio all day directing, or I get to help my team with some sort of casting or production problem, and we get to brainstorm together, or I get to host an author or a rights holder. Um, I get to work in, I do a lot of technology work that's sort of my passion within my job uh, is is working with new technology and bringing it to audio and learning how to tell stories differently through these new tools that are available to us. So I do uh, I do a lot of speaking. I do a lot of education on that because I think it's really important that we lean into that. So in 15 years, I don't think I've ever had the same day twice. And it keeps me on my feet and it keeps it really interesting. And I love a challenge. So every day I'm like, what's new? What are we going to tackle today? Mm-hmm. Um, can you identify any special traits that you have that let you be successful in this field? I could imagine maybe adaptability if every day is different or being flexible. Uh, let's see. That's a good question. Curiosity. It's mm-hmm. that love of learning because they just want to know everything um, and asking, right? Like if if you don't ever ask, you don't know. And the answer could very well be yes to questions. And a lot of times I've just sort of, you know, taken a deep breath and and gone up to someone I admire and asked them, you know, for 15 minutes of their time or asked if I could sit in on a session or, you know, can I help you with this? Can you tell me how you've done that? And that's really paid off for me because I've gotten to make these amazing connections with really talented people in all parts of the business just by not being afraid to ask, you know, can I, can I do this? Can we do this together? Do you want to go with me? Can I come? And it's it's literally taken me all over the world. It's taken me to India and Japan. Um, you know, I spend a lot of time in Europe for my job with my global my global role, um, Central and South America. So it's been really amazing. And to have that willingness to sort of pick up and go, I think, has been another asset for me. I traveled a ton when I was a kid, so I'm kind of used to it. And now. When I get a call and somebody says, "Oh, you know, Kevin Hart wants to record next week. Can you go?" I'm like, "Yeah, absolutely." You know, I grab my bag and head to the airport. So that that flexibility and that ability to sort of roll with the punches has definitely been an asset for me. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, can you tell us why what you do is important? Oh, that's a great question. Wow. Um, why is it important? So I just, I did another podcast a few weeks ago uh, and I made the joke that what we do isn't rocket surgery. And the editor, God bless, cut out the word rocket because she thought I misspoke. And it's actually a joke. Um, it's But it's not, it's not, it's neither brain surgery nor rocket science. So it is certainly not rocket surgery. Um, but I, when I travel, I meet a lot of people, you know, I meet people in airports and you're like killing time and they, oh, what do you do? And I say, oh, I work for Audible. And every single time they take out their phone and they open it up and they go to their Audible app and they start scrolling. They're like, I love Audible. You know, Trez Plummer is my favorite narrator. Do you know Ray Porter? You know, uh, is because Adam, when's his next book coming out? And I realized that people just have such, such a love for what it is that I get to do and for hearing these stories and, you know, it's not rocket surgery, but it does help people. It enriches their lives. It entertains them. It educates them. It lets them escape if they're doing something that they don't really want to be doing. Like a lot of people listen when they do chores around the house or when they're driving on a long road trip. Um, and so it gives them the a chance to escape. I also work on a lot of kids content, which is just so rewarding to watch kids 
listen to this stuff and to give families an opportunity to listen together and then talk about different issues that are brought up within the content in a really safe, supportive way. And I think that it gives my work meaning and it helps me every day kind of get ready to go and do what I do because I know that I'm telling a story or I'm helping to tell a story that someone somewhere is going to hear. And then they're going to think, oh, I'm not alone. That happened to me too. Or I felt like this also, or this told me something that I didn't know before that I wouldn't have known had I not listened to this project. And I, I find a lot of meaning in that. And it it's very motivating to do my best work every day. Yeah, that's great. That seems like a really rewarding career. Um, I don't know if there's such a thing as a regular day at work for you, but if there was one, could you take us through it? Sure. Uh, Let's see, a regular day. So I have a great team and I like to meet with them regularly. So in a normal day, I would probably have at least one or two one-on-ones with my team. Uh, I would pop into the studio to take a a peek in on what we're doing. Even if it's not my project, I like to keep tabs on what's happening. Uh, I like to, you know, hang out with my narrators, find out what's going on. How are they doing? What else are they doing? And post-COVID, having everyone back in the studio has really been wonderful because it's, even though it's a big group of people that we work with, they're very close-knit because everybody is really nice. So I would stick my head in the studio, see what's going on. and then I would probably read for the afternoon, which is a great way to end your day, I think. Yeah, I find reading super relaxing. If I have a test or something, I just kind of chill out after I study by reading. So sounds great. Um, That's great. Do you work remotely or in person? Uh, it's a hybrid. So currently we are formally in the office two days a week, uh, but I really, I go in based on when I need to be there. If I have something recording five days a week, then I'm in five days. Uh, But on a week like this where I'm traveling, I'm traveling three days out of the week and I'll stay home the other two so I can have some good time with my kids. Okay, that's good. Um, How many hours would you say you work a week? Oh, it varies anywhere between 30 on a light week where everyone's decided to take a summer Friday and if I'm on a deadline or if I have a show that's recording, I can work up to, you know, probably 80 hours on a big week. Wow. But I've never worked an 80-hour week where I've gone, oh, that was really exhausting. It's always been, wow, I can't believe we got to do that. Um, I recorded a show called Letters from Camp, uh, three seasons. And we we started the first pandemic summer and we recorded it really to give kids the chance to have a sort of camp experience in a year where no one was going away to camp. And we had these great creators. It was Jamie Lee Curtis as really talented writer named Boko Haft, who I just love and adore. And they wrote this beautiful script and they got all of this talent, you know, Jamie opened up her Rolodex and, you know, called friends and Jake Gyllenhaal and, you know, Daniel Radcliffe and said like, would you be on this show? And of course they all said yes, because you always say yes to Jamie Lee Curtis. And so we had just a few weeks to put this insane show together and then mix it and do full sound design on it in 3D audio. And those were weeks where I was exhausted, but really happily exhausted because we got to make this really beautiful show that had just a wonderful message that I was really proud of. And at the end, I thought, gosh, I'm tired, but man, I can't believe I just got to direct Daniel Radcliffe. 
That's great. Um, we talked a lot about work, but how do you use your free time? Well, I have two kids. Um, they're really awesome. They're eight and 13. So we hang out a lot. Uh, we swim a lot. We moved in the middle of the pandemic to a house with a pool. So that's been really lovely. Um, my daughter, especially, she's also a big content consumer. So we go to the movies as often as we can. I'll go see anything. Like I haven't seen Oppenheimer yet, but I'll get there. Um, <laughs> we like to travel a lot. Both of my kids are, are great travelers. So we get on the road when we can. Uh, and then as as a way to kind of remind myself of, of what I get to do, um, I obstacle race, which is like Tough Mudder and Spartan Race and stuff like that. Um, so there's a lot of training that goes into, you know, running 12 miles and tackling 30 obstacles. Uh, so my husband and I train a lot and we race a lot together. And that's really great, both to blow off some steam when I have a frustrating week, you know, there's nothing like uh, jumping in a giant vat of ice and having to swim through it to remind you like, okay, your week might've been rough, but you know, at least you don't live in this vat of ice. Um, and it's also, it's a really great community too. The folks there are just, they're so nice and lovely. And that really kind of takes up most of my free time if I get any. Oh, it seems intense. Um, now your work is more collaborative with others, right? You're managing a team and so you're interacting with them all the time. Yep. Okay. So there's no real time where you just kind of go by yourself and work on your own. Uh, if I'm reading, I'll, I tend to read days that I'm home because I get to curl up with my dog on the couch, uh, which is one of the great joys, both for me and for my dog. Um, but other than that, when I'm in the office, when I'm around people, I really try and make the most of it and make those connections because I do find that for me, that really refills my cup to interact with other people and to share what I know with them and to learn what they know and what they're doing. So I try and maximize that whenever I can. Okay. Um, and what's the next step in this field for you? Huh. That is a good question. Um, I'm so happy in what I do. I don't know that I think about it. I think it's to keep pushing the boundaries of what I do and how we tell stories in audio. The technology part of this is just so interesting and it's developing so quickly. Uh, the 3D audio space is really rich and robust. And I think there's even more that we can keep doing in it. So I think that's part of what keeps my role interesting and new. Um, and just continuing to manage my team. They're they're so great. And I've seen them grow so much over the years. And I want to keep supporting that, you know, whether it's with me or if they move on to other positions. Uh, but managing people and getting to see them develop in ways like that is super rewarding and something I definitely always want to hang on to. Okay. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Mrs. Jackson. Before we wrap things up, let's go to the mailbag. So um, to submit for the mailbag, please email Zane at coolcareersandhowyougotthem.com. Fill out our get in touch form on our website, coolcareersandhowyougotthem.com, or DM us on the gram at coolcareersandhowyougotthem. So today's question comes from Alex, who is a rising sophomore in Pennsylvania. And I had to filter through a lot of questions because I want to tap into your expertise. Um, so here's Alex's question. I grew up listening to talk radio in the car with my parents, and I used to hate it and think it was so much worse than listening to music. He's, he's just like me. Uh, however, I recently convinced them to listen to audiobooks instead, which has been so much better. 
I'm curious to know if audiobooks are separate from printed books and how would someone get involved in working with audiobooks? So I appreciate the honesty. Uh, I think a lot of kids feel like talk radio is boring and even uh, classic audio dramas, they can be a little bit cheesy sometimes. So uh, I appreciate that. And I always appreciate a music lover. Um, So there are two different sort of modules that we work in. One are Audible Originals, which are things that are written just for us and they're audio only. And then the other are audiobooks, right, where we do an audio version of a print book that's come out. And those are really fun because we get to bring them to a different audience. And oftentimes we try and do something really special with them. Um, Last year, I got to work on Project Hail Mary, which is by Andy Weir, uh, the guy who wrote The Martian. And it's just this beautiful book. And there's this alien character who speaks in tones. And I looked at it and I was like, oh, no, how do we how do we do that? Like, how do you translate like he said seven tones, you know, into audio. Um, and so I got to work with this amazing sound designer who made this sort of uh, this chorus of sounds for the alien. So that was really interesting. And it it gives people a reason to buy both the print book and the audiobook, which is my favorite thing when we can sort of be additive rather than an either or. Um, so both of those things exist. And I think that they both have really interesting places and neither of them sound like old time talk radio. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of like Alex here where I didn't really, I always wanted to listen to music, but then my mom downloaded Audible and we started listening to Born a Crime by Trevor Noah. And I like loved it. So I'm, you know, more open to the Audible, uh, way better than talk radio, I think. But um, thank you so much. If people want to learn more about you or what you do, where can they go? Um, they can find me on the gram. You said it, so I think I can say it, even yeah, though course. I'm a little bit older than you. Uh, you can find me on the gram at Cat Jackson underscore studio feed. And that's where I chronicle uh, my time in the studio, my life with my kids, my obstacle racing. It's sort of a, a grab bag of stuff. But uh, that's that's where you can find me. Okay, thank you so much. You've got the ear of many highly ambitious students. Do you have any final advice for them or an ask that you have for them? Uh, let's see, on a uh, podcast that I listened to, and at the end, one of the questions they ask is, if you had a billboard for everyone in the world to see, what would you put on it? And I, I think about this question a lot, but nobody's ever actually asked me that. Um, I would say be curious and ask the questions and take advantage of the opportunities that are in front of you. You know, you can always dial it back on something if you decide that, you know, it's not for you. But if you don't take the opportunity and you don't take the leap, you're never going to know what might have happened. So better to have to backtrack a little bit than to regret not taking an opportunity that could really change your life. Yeah, Thank you so much for joining us, Mrs. Jackson. It was great advice. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me.